Hey everyone, welcome to the FanFi Attic YouTube channel. Back here at TBRCon 21. I've got, what, seven fabulous authors, authors with me here today. Um, so we've got a bunch of great panels this week. Another great one here today. So uh, talking about um, SPIFBO or SPFBO, however you want to say that. Um, so I'm going to start. I'm going to have everyone introduce themselves and then uh, I want you to tell me how you pronounce it. Do you say SPIFBO or do you say SPFBO, which is the wrong way of saying it? Uh, so, so top, top over. Let's start with Robert, and then we'll go over to Susanna, Rachel. Sure. Um, I actually don't think I've ever said it out loud, so I, I spell it out in my head. SPFBO. I, I definitely don't say SPFBO. Um, but I'm Robert H. Fleming, um, author of The Fall of Erlon, um, one of the finalists, obviously, for SPFBO. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, with my wife and 10 month old daughter who you may hear at some point. Um, she's upstairs right now, but she's, she gets out and about now. Um, so happy to be here. Sometimes Justin squeals and it sounds like a baby. So you might be confused between the two. <laughs> I thought we were keeping that private, man. Come on. That's a <laughs> in the back. Oh, my bad. my bad. Might be some of the Patrick Labotties Patrick has around too. So. <laughs> careful with that. All right, Susanna, how about you? And you know, give us an introduction to your work too. Uh, Robert, did you talk up a little bit about what you, you know, about your writing and Sure, sure. Um so The Fall of Erlon is a, a military fantasy, um gunpowder fantasy, um if you're a fan of Brian McClellan, um uh and some of his powder mage work, it's it's not a hard ma hard magic system like that at all, but it it's said it's more based on Napoleonic Europe than the traditional medieval European fantasy series setting. Um, there are four books. The, the fourth book just launched uh, a couple weeks ago. It's a completed series. I'm, I'm very happy to have accomplished that feat. Um, never thought I'd get there. Um, but it is, yeah, four books, epic uh, military uh, fantasy. And I, I'm hoping to stick to that genre. Most of my other ideas are, are in different worlds, but, but similar kind of military focus. Um, so really enjoy it right in action scenes, I guess. All right, great, yeah, great introduction. I want to tell everyone, by the way, who's listening, thank you for being here too. I did not log in properly, so I can't comment. Um, so, and I'm afraid if I hit the login button, it's gonna log me out and then everyone's gonna be left without me, which would be a shame. So, uh, so hi to everyone out there. I just tried to type into you and I can't. So. All right, let's move on, Susanna. Hi, I'm Susanna Roundtree. I'm from Australia, so it's first thing in the morning for me. Um, I write historical fantasy. Um, my finalist is A Wind from the Wilderness, which is set in the First Crusade. And so that's the first book of my nine book series, Watches of Outremer. Um I just released book three at the end of last year. So I'm about a third of the way through. Um, um, I guess one of the major influences for this series is Tim Powers. Um, I don't know if you would have read any of his historical fantasy, but it really blew my mind the first time I read one of his books because I hadn't actually realized it was possible to write um, a fantasy set in a historical time period that was so historically accurate. And um, so that's kind of what you can expect if um, you read one of my books. Um, the Ultramare series in particular, very historically accurate as much as I can. I've been studying the period for about six years. Um, I'm also pulling in fantasy elements with a um, sort of a theurgic um, magic system. Um, it's a little bit light in the first book, but more and more comes in in subsequent books. Um, 
yeah, I pronounce it Spiffbo. So. <laughs> good, good. Glad to hear that. All right, Rachel, how about you? Well, Spiffbo is just painful on my ears. It's definitely FPFBO. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help that. Uh, this is actually my first panel, so I'm really nervous. So if I start jittering or something, that's why. Um, my name's Rachel Emishaw. Uh, my finalist book is Last Memoria. It's a book about memory thieves. Basically, a memory thief who is on the run. She doesn't want to use her abilities, but she's been made to do it by her uncle, the king, who has forced her into taking memories of people for many years to make sure that they you know, stay in line and they're very loyal as far as his nobles go. And I am just really happy to be here. This is fantastic. It's great to be in a panel with so many other fantastic authors. And I say that having read at least half of them on the call right now. So this is amazing. <laughs> great. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. Um, sorry, we're going to hurt your ears several times today, so get used to that. All right, let's go down to Patrick. Hi. Um, I've actually, ever since we logged on, I've been trying to work out how to get myself in the middle of the middle of the screen, like uh, uh, like Zach manages to do, and and I've been not paying attention. Oh, we'll and, get to that. Uh, right. <laughs> um, I'm Patrick Sanfire. My uh, spoof bow, as I say it, book is. Um, had to actually have a look at it to see what it was. It's a shadow of a dead <laughs> god. It's um, a kind of uh, fantasy noir set in the secondary world. Um, it's my first adult fantasy novel. I published a couple of children's uh, kind of science fiction fantasy novels before and various novellas and short stories. Um, this was basically my attempt to combine urban fantasy with epic fantasy. Um, I enjoy kind of the tone of urban fantasy, but I much prefer epic fantasy, secondary fantasy worlds. And uh, that's what this book is. Someone's frozen. Uh, right, I think we're gonna ask you more about that later, Patrick, because I, uh, I am very bad at- Still can't get in the middle here, sorry. <laughs> How do you get in the middle of the damn screen? Sorry, I think I, <laughs> sorry, I think I, everyone froze there for a second. Um, I want to ask you more. I'm very bad about subgenres, so I want to get some more information from you about that later. Uh, Justin. Hi, um, I'm Justin Lee Anderson. Um, I, I pronounced it SPFBO until I met Laura Hughes, and she told me it was pronounced Spiffbo, and so now I pronounce it Spiffbo because she said so. And, uh, and and that's the law, clearly. Um, a good and, reason uh, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you gotta go with you gotta go with cool kids, man. That's the way it is. Um, and uh, my my spiffbo uh, finalist is the Lost War, which is a um, what did I start out calling? I think I started calling out a, a low fantasy conspiracy fantasy thrillers. I like mashing genres together, um, but I it's, I think it's kind of now settled on a an epic fantasy mystery, which is surrounds a, a, a conspiracy. So, you know, pick any pick any description from those that, that appeals to you, really. All right, great, yeah. Sounds good. The same thing, uh, not great at subgenre. It sounds like you're just making some up, which is totally fine. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing, yeah, I'm totally making Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> we can make up everything we want. This is fantasy, right? So. All right, yeah. Captain. We, had, we had a whole conversation Jack. about Patrick's and my books, and about whether one of them was a fantasy mystery and the other one was a mystery fantasy, and it was an <laughs> it was an important <laughs> distinction. Like <laughs> All right, let's go, Captain America. All right, I am Zach Argyle, and you can see the two books that I wrote. 
right here behind me. <laughs> uh, they're both very good. I can't figure out which finger is which finger when I'm moving it. It's confusing. Um, so I wrote Voice of War, and uh, I live in uh, Washington State in the United States. And uh, I guess a little about Voice of War. It's a it's pretty specifically a sword and sorcery, uh, but it is part of a trilogy that is more epic fantasy at scale. And yeah, it kind of it kind of came about because I was I I really like the idea of having the chosen one, but the way that I kind of was spinning it was this is like it started off as the chosen one from the point of view of the parents who had to keep the kid alive. Like if the kid never grows up, then they can't still be the chosen one. So it's from the point of view of, of some parents and what they have to do and what they're willing to do to keep their kids safe. And that's kind of where that is. Yeah, cool. That's a really interesting take on that. Um, so we can, again, we can talk more about that too. Alex. Hey guys, I'm Alex Darwin. I'm the author of the combat codes. It's the first book in a three book trilogy. I'm currently <laughs> finishing up the drafting of the, the third book. It is, I think I've heard that a third book is the toughest, and I do agree now just trying to close up all those loopholes is kind of driving me crazy. I have the I actually have on my other screen here the graph. I might look over there and like have a twitch every once in a while. <laughs> um, combat codes is it's I would say I was originally brand, branding it, it this has changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was originally branding it as science fantasy. I, it's uh, set in a dystopian world that's heavily uh, martial arts focused. There's a lot of action. Um, it, there are some fantastical elements, I think partially because I'm terrible. If it is science fiction, I'm terrible at explaining the science part, which is kind of why it's it's a little bit of fantasy there. You know, SPFBO or SPFBO is actually how I originally pronounced it. And um, I've, I've gone over to SPFBO just because, as Justin said, that's that's the way we're apparently supposed to say it. And I'm, I'm not a rebel. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm particularly excited to just hang out with all of you guys because we've had like a Discord chat. I think this is probably the only um, panel where we've been like chatting so regularly because we're all in at, at finalists. And um, this is actually our first, this is like a, a uh, first reveal. Is, is that the term for like, you know, getting to meet people? It's like a reveal of getting to talk to everyone, which is pretty cool. It's first time we get to see Rachel's face for a start. <laughs> has, has anyone known has one? I do have a face. Jack is definitely a wizard because you see the book he has behind him. He put those in place before anyone joined the call. So he predicted that, that Alex would be on his left or right. I don't know which oh, way it is. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how, do I, how do I do this? So that it was foreshadowing. I love foreshadowing. <laughs> the way you can move your face and like your head, it totally freaked me out, Zach. <laughs> Keep it up. Um, yeah, we were all very impressed that Rachel has a face. So that's good. That's good um, I wanted to start. So Alex, you talked about um, everyone being spiffable finalists, and I wanted to. That's I kind of wanted to start there because I don't know much about that process. Um, how do you even get in? How you know? How does it start with you know with you? It, I mean, I've seen you know I've seen books that have you know newer releases, and I've seen uh, some that are a few years old get into like this year. So 
Um, can anyone tell me what that process is like? And how do you how do you even get into Spitbull in the first place? Is there like an application? You pay close attention to to Mark Lawrence's blog, and he right. opens the window once a year, and you stick a book in and hope you're in the first three hundred to submit. It's it's pretty much that straightforward. And you desperately refresh the page on the day because it all crashes. Hundreds of authors upload their books, and you're panicking, thinking it's going to finish before I can get my book on there. So you're madly there. Like, refresh. I stayed up till midnight one night just because that's when it opened. Yeah, but yeah, you can put in any book as long as it hasn't been entered before, as long as it can be read as a standalone or first in series. So as long as it's self-published, can't be that one as well. Yeah, mm. so important. So, so, so ages matter. If it was a book from, say, 10 years ago you self-published, you could put it in there as long as it hadn't been yeah. in before? Yeah, yeah some people have done that. Yeah. series are a standalone, yeah. Yeah, I think that happened more in the previous years, but then that's, those books tend to have been entered by now, so there's fewer and fewer of the old ones coming in. All ours are new, right, or newish. Mm -hmm. no, mine is actually uh, five, the comic codes I wrote five years ago, and then I had I had two kids in between and wrote the second book after it. <laughs> yeah, mine is two years old. I only found out about Spiff Boat like the day after it closed um, the year before. And then I was really glad because I saw that ML Wang had submitted the sort of Kaigen, which I had already read at that stage. And I was like, I'm so <laughs> glad I'm not competing against that. And it did win. And I was cheering for her the whole way. I, I had some experience in that my, my book wasn't out, my book was out slightly too late to get in the last one. And then when I saw how it went, I was like, actually, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine may be the most recent in that it's, it had a publishing date when I set it up, which was after the Spoofbo closing. So I quickly pushed forward publishing, uh, publishing it a week so I oh, could wow. get in there. I did something and, I knew it was coming. So about three months in advance, I moved the date forward because I was like, no, no, I've uh -huh. got to get in before it. <laughs> I was desperately really? editing kind of as the as the thing came up. So uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, That's really interesting. I didn't know you yeah, could play I... with a date like that. I mean just hey, I want to get in. Did you look at the competition and you're like, you know, I can win this year or well, let's wait till <laughs> next year. I'd been kind of following it for a couple of years, and uh, and I thought I think if I push really hard, I can get get mine done on time this year, and I just about did, I guess, apart from a few typos. Which are... <laughs> I'm sure readers are very forgiving of the typos, right? Well, they've been fixed now. No, <laughs> it's just the uh, <laughs> the one that the judge has got's got the typos. <laughs> I must right, say. So I'm not using that um, proof editor again because the judges, if you have typos, they will notice and they will comment on it. And you're like, I, I can't blame you on the list. I really don't blame you. <laughs> Is that part of the judging process, like the editing, not just the story, but editing? And do they do they factor that into the scores? Some do more than others. I think. I think some do. They yeah, put off I, on it. I think as long as it's not, if it's just a few typos, I don't think it's going to bother them if it's really badly edited. And, you know, I, I remember one book from uh, from last year, which I thought was a really good book, but had a, had problems with it being an early draft. I think a lot of the judges were really hard on it, which yeah. I thought was a shame because it was a really good book. But, you know, I guess that's part of the self-publishing process, though. So. 
-hmm. is that you, you've got to get it professional if you're going to publish it. Yeah, I mean, there, there isn't like that default editor sitting around like you if you have a publisher, right? You've got to find your own. You've got to, you know, everything's got to come from you pretty much or right. whoever, you know, you've got to find that. So I actually think there's a little bit of flexibility in it because I was, I was talking to one of the judges about this because I think they recognize when it comes to self-publishing that we, we don't have piles of money backing us up as we're going into it. So they, you know, they, they accept that maybe paying for the most professional proof editor isn't something you can do when it's your first book, but they hope that as we progress in self-publishing, you get a few more books out there, maybe you'll be able to start putting the investment in then. So I think they do have a little bit of leeway. Yeah, that makes sense. Zach, what about you? You didn't talk much about your experience. What about your experience getting into uh, Spiffle? Yeah, so I had never heard of it before, is what happened. And <laughs> I, published, I published Voice of War in March of last year. And I actually published it a month earlier than I was planning on because the pandemic hit. And I was like, well, I'll just push public. And then like, if people want to read it, they can have something to read while they're quarantined. And then I found out about SPFBO and I'm part of a writing group. And I messaged them and I was like, hey, has anybody heard of this? And none of them had ever heard of it. And well, one of them had, and they had submitted the year previous. And then the other, all the rest in the group were like, let's all apply. So all of us submitted a book <laughs> and that's oh, I need to... yeah. Are you now lording it over your entire writing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Suck suckers. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna take part. Yeah, that easy, huh, Zach? They helped. Yeah, I honestly, I did good. not expect to. I I didn't know what to expect, so I just submitted it. I was like, this seems cool. Like, I really like Mark Lawrence, and I read a bunch of his works, so it seemed fun. Yeah. Yeah, I actually hadn't heard of it till last year, and I just kind of, I'm very recent to blogging and reviewing and things. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And last year's, obviously last year's with uh, Sword of Kaigen, great book. I know a few of you have mentioned that. And, um, that's, that's where I heard about that book from, from the contest. And I wanted to talk to you about that, about the benefit of it. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty big boon, especially if you get this far in. Um, has that publicity been big for you guys? Definitely. Yeah. I think we've, we've kind of talked about this ourselves in the Discord chat that we've got, but I think we've all seen a bump in visibility and sales off the back of it. It's been it's been really noticeable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been really good, especially having like a lot more reviews out there has been fantastic. Um, if it for for me, it gives a lot of legitimacy, which is one of the things that I do miss about. Um, self-publishing like there's still a little bit of a stigma out there it's it's you know discernibly less of a stigma now than they used to be five years ago um but still people will look at you and go oh you're self-published oh you must be writing rubbish then or you you're not good enough to be traditionally published and that wasn't why i started self-publishing and so a competition like this has really been a boon to say no i'm you know, I'm trying to do this properly. Yeah, I agree on that. It's um, one of the things about self-publishing is just how hard it is to be noticed because there's a lot of self-published books and, you know, um, there aren't that many places where readers find out about them. And, uh, and yeah, there's, I agree on the stigma. I, I mean, I chose to go with self-publishing route like I suspect most of us did rather than to try and pursue the the traditional publishing route and 
it is kind of annoying when people assume that you did it because <laughs> because you weren't good enough to go the other route you know so uh it's it's something like this where uh where uh, where it gives some uh, some publicity and 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 get good reviews from blogs it, it really does help i think on the route yeah and i think with the self-publishing market there's a there's a big emphasis on writing to market um you, you know write the tropes that sell and write the books that sell and one of the things i love about spiffbo is that sorry rachel is that we all um we all seem to be sort of less well-known books that might not have the big sales but uh, aren't necessarily chasing that like I think it's completely valid um, if, if, if you need to make a living and if you want to make a living and if you want to sell a lot of books. And I think all this at some level do on that. But um, for some of us, it's not quite as important as telling the stories that we really want to tell. And Spiffbo recognizes that as well, which is one of the things I really love about the competition. So Something I, and it's touching on what you just said, and it's what I love about it, is that all the books that are coming in. They're the books that maybe they wouldn't have worked with traditional publishing because they're often just a little bit different. They're doing things that maybe the publishers, the agents won't really see the audience for. Maybe there isn't a huge audience for them out there, but that doesn't mean that they're any less awesome story-wise. And SPFBO seems to be a way of just like <laughs> pulling them all together and binding. So for readers out there who are looking for something a bit different, avant-garde, something that's not this, you know, there's a very bold step in fantasy. This is a great place for finding them. And you just don't get that with, um, you know, I've not seen some, another competition that does that, that pulls us together in that way. It's fantastic. It's a really great thing. It's like the perfect example too. I don't, I don't think that would have been traditionally published because one, like the pacing is super weird in that book. If you've read it. Which book? Sort of Kaigen. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Have yes. There's like a huge climax halfway through the book and then it like totally shifts, which is like a big no, no. Yeah. And the world building is really weird. And it's just like, there's, there's these things that like traditional publishers would have, would have probably required that she change, but because she didn't change it, it's awesome. And it's unique and kind of quirky in its own ways and it totally works. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting that if you look at the finalists, they're all incredibly different. It's not like there's ten epic fantasies in the final. You know, you've you've got really dark stuff like Rachel's and Michael's stuff. And you've got um, historical like Susanna's and uh, alternative historical like Roberts and so on. You've got these. You've got this whole range of completely different books with completely different tones. And yeah, they're not chasing the market. Any of them, I don't think. And uh, and like I said there's there's nothing wrong with chasing the market. But not everybody can can write to tropes, you know. I, I once or twice tried that, and I just can't do it. It's not a, you know, yeah. it doesn't interest me. I can't, I can't just keep writing that stuff. So uh, uh, I think, I think that uh, this is this is one of the very few ways that that people can uh, self-publish can actually make a get their book out there without. For instance, just spending thousands uh, of pounds or dollars on advertising or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I I agree. the The reviews yeah. and, and getting those reviews actually have a bump in sales, of of course, like everyone has said. 
um, one of the surprises has been the community, though. So just among us, we, we have a, a group chat where we've kind of gotten to know each other um, just now seeing everyone face to face today, which is, is great. But then also past finalists have reached out to us. There's a, a community there. Um, um, and and uh, to go back to kind of the bump in sales question to your original question, Jason, back in uh, earlier this month, uh, we organized a, a promo with um, the uh, ML actually organized it, but with some of the past finalists and, and uh, I, I don't have too many sales every day, but my, my sales definitely jumped up from that. So the community has, has been a, big surprise and and i think that's important even beyond the the pandemic this year when we're all stuck inside but self-publishers can be isolated and um i i've enjoyed getting to know some some new people and some people from all over the world that's a great you make a, a lot of great points there i you know i like the idea of the fact that yeah we you know we can tell some stories here that maybe the public big publishers aren't looking for um, and really connect with some people. I think that's really great. So, Rob, you make a really great point. I wanted to just follow up on that about um, when you talk about like being inside, like, you know, publishers are used to working a certain way. Do you think being self-published has helped you be more nimble in certain situations like that? Like, hey, everyone's home, don't have access to printers and, I don't you know, mailing, you know, is it easier? Do you think it's helped you be more nimble being self-published versus with a kind of stick into a publisher's schedule. Yeah, I, th I think so. And I, I mean, my only experience with traditional publishing is just what I read in the news. And I, I know they pushed a lot of big releases out a little bit, at least at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, my my schedule didn't change at all. I um, we uh, My wife had our, our first daughter earlier in the year, so that changed uh, my writing schedule a little bit. But uh, the pandemic didn't didn't slow me down at all. Um, and I, I ended up hitting the publishing dates I wanted to hit. So yes, in, in terms of being nimble, um, that is that is one of the big things that drew me personally to self-publishing, ability to choose your own editor, choose your own writing style, like Zach mentioned about Sorta Kagan earlier, um, and, and the covers and, and everything, um, I, I think is a big draw. I, I don't know if everyone else agrees though. Yeah, I, I uh, have a slightly different perspective because my first two children's books were traditionally published. And there are definite benefits to that, not, not least that they gave you a chunk of money at the beginning, which is really nice. But it is very slow. You have very little input or control over most things to do with the book. You don't decide when it's published. You don't have input on the cover. You don't have input on the price of it. Um, things like... Uh, I can't remember who, who said it now, but the sale that we had earlier, maybe Robert, um, the sale we had earlier uh, this year where we all put our books down to 99 pence, 99 cents. You couldn't do that if you were with a traditional publisher. You had, Maybe you could discuss it with their marketing and the publisher and like six months in advance and they'll consider it, but they'll probably say no. And you just, you have no flexibility in traditional publishing, whereas here we have an enormous amount you can change the cover, as quite a few people have, have done. If it's not working, um, you could, yeah, you can change the price. You can, you can update it if you find a mistake in it, and so on. So I think there's a, it's a speed, it's the speed and the flexibility that self-publishing gives you. Because again, we're talking about how quickly some of us published our books to kind of meet the Swiftbo thing. Um, 
my first book that was published traditionally took four years between selling it and it turning up on the shelves, which is an absurd way of running a business in my opinion, but there we are. All of our faces then, we're like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> That's madness. Yeah, well, if you even, I mean, you talk about movies, you said, hey, I want to get into stuff, so I'm moving my, my release date up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you couldn't do that if you're in, 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 with a publisher, right? You can't just go to them and say, hey, let's move this up three months. Nope. No, and uh, they will move you back, though. I mean, that's why it took four years. It's like, <laughs> I said, oh, we decided four to move years, you back man. a year or whatever. And say, thanks. <laughs> four years is incredible. It, it, it's, an, it's an outlier, definitely. But it's I mean, not completely unheard. They were able to move you back because, you know, you're, you're one of many in their stable, aren't you? But right. when you're publishing, it's you. You are the many focus. I actually... La Primoria, I had a um, an offer with an, an independent publisher for publishing the book, and I'm one of those rare weirdos who decided to turn it down because I said, actually, I want to self-publish this book because I want everything that Patrick was saying. I, I got to design my own covers. I got to have the flexibility. I got to also decide how I was going to pitch the book, which you have no control over that if you're going traditional. That's all up to their marketing department. So they might pitch it as a YA when you think it's an adult and it, it's, you know, you just take so much more control over your career. And I really valued that. Yeah, I just don't have patience. I want, what, when my book's done, I want to get it out as soon as possible, really. And I think that's a, and that's, that's the thing that I find the most difficult. I, I, I might be prepared to trade that. I, I say this as if people are knocking down my door offering nutritional <laughs> publishing deals, which obviously they are, you know. And, but uh, <laughs> but for, the, for the weight of the marketing and, and, you know, the editorial support and everything that you get from a traditional deal, that is a big appeal. But I have so little patience for the notion of finishing a book and not seeing it for years afterwards. And that just, that would be torture, really. It just, mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like time slipping through your fingers when your book could be out there and isn't. And I understand why it works. When you've got a big beast like that producing, you know, hundreds of books, um, they have to do it in such a way that it makes sense for their marketing and it makes sense for their, you know, printing, all the practicalities and everything. But um, four years, man, I can't get over that. Four years, dude. <laughs> I haven't got over it, and it was quite a while back. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. At some point, did you not just think this is never going to happen? Did you just like kind of start to wonder if it was you were ever going to see it? Uh, I kind of knew it would come out eventually, but every time they'd be like, oh, we're putting it back six months. It'll be a much better time to publish it and in the spring instead of the the autumn. And then you get to that and they say, actually, we're putting it back to the next autumn because that'd be a much better time to publish it in the spring and so on. <laughs> yeah, and, the real reason was why they were actually doing it. Because they don't uh, Yes, and I will tell you guys in in private. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Just not to burn any potential bridges. <laughs> Good point. Hot take there from Zach. But Zach, what do you think? I mean, seriously, what do you think about that? Like, do you like having that control? Uh, you know, does, does it help you oh, feel yeah. more, better about the situation? I mean, I'm also like a weirdo. I just like learning new things. And so the self-publishing process is super interesting. And there's so many different parts of it that I, I just have no idea about. And learning all about it as far as just like, you know, getting your covers put together for both, you know, ebook and print, and then also the cover for an audiobook, and then getting an audiobook published. 
uh, going through Amazon and actually going through all of the process of publishing something. There's just all of these pieces. If you want to get a you know paperback pre-order, how do you do that? Because Amazon won't let you do it through their printing. So you got to go through another route. So there's like all these like pieces. And for me, it was like really fun to learn it all. So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree I agree with that. Uh, the learning process has been steep. And I actually, when, when I wrote it in 2015, I just, you know, put it up on Amazon, uh, Amazon KDP. And I think for the paperback back then it was, it was called create space, which got, has since been enveloped into just KDP at this point. Um, I didn't really, by no means am I an expert now, but I, I knew absolutely nothing there. I just put my book out there. At this point, just like talking with all the other self-published authors and kind of like doing research, I feel like I've learned quite a bit. So I don't know, who knows if I'll be able to use that skill elsewhere outside of self-publishing, but even just even just looking at the, the like self-publishing industry, I feel like I didn't know anything about it. I, I don't know if it's just the genres that I look at or the books I look at, but I feel nowadays, I don't even know if they're self-published or not. There's some books out there that maybe pop up on my Kindle, um, you know, the preview, preview ads, which are often terrible, but sometimes are hilarious. And my wife and I will look at those and, and read them back and forth because they're, they're so silly sometimes. But sometimes you look at it and you're like, how does that book have like, 15,000 reviews, like what is happening? <laughs> what are these people doing? You look at it. A lot of family. Sold, it's like number one ahead of like Harry Potter. And you're like, how how the hell has this book gotten here? And it's a self-published author. So they're doing something that traditional publishers are not doing. And I since I've, you know, in the past two years, actually since Spiffbo, you know, I've gotten connected with a lot of self-published authors that are, are like wild, like crazy successful, like beyond my wildest dreams that I even would expect. And, and there's this whole science to it. It's kind of crazy um, that how far some of these self-published authors can get and the, the way they have to like, I don't know if the words game, but like game the system. And nowadays, whether you're traditional or self, you're going through Amazon. I mean, you know, how many people go to the bookstore now, especially in quarantine? It's like, they're all beholden to this, this behemoth. And I feel like some self-published authors have figured it out better than publishers. I mean, publishers provide yeah. so many things, like a lot of things. They obviously provide you know advances and it really depends where you're at in your life, whether you want to traditional, I mean, if you have the opportunity to, to traditionally publish, but I feel like some of these self-published authors, I'm not one of them yet, but <laughs> they know what they're doing. Like they've got, they, I feel like traditional publishing needs to hire these people and figure out how to like game the, gaming the system sounds like the wrong word, but that's what it is. They're like, there's algorithms that Amazon has that like, if you ride the wave and, and you know, you, you can like republish your book. I recently found out you can like, you can like republish your book and you don't lose your reviews. And that gives you like a ride on the Amazon wave of, of, you know, they'll like put your book, they'll start put, putting your book ahead. So I feel like it's just like a new, a new frontier. I'm not saying traditional publishing is going away, but I feel like there's a lot that traditional publishing can learn. Mm -hmm. You know, they have all the, the, they have the money, they have the, the network and they're still, you know, all, all, most of the big authors are still with them. I feel like 
things, the times are changing, as, as Bob Dylan said. <laughs> I believe that specifically it's the self-published market that is the ebook market, and the traditional publishing has chosen to focus on physical books, which is given them a bit of a hit during the pandemic because physical books are a lot harder to get suddenly. Um, digital books are a lot easier. Um, yeah, so right. that's what I hear. And even Amazon, speaking of Amazon, I mean, they just sent out an email, like they're doing a hardback beta, which I was like, I didn't know Amazon does hardbacks, but I think I think they're thinking ahead there and they're trying to push into that into that market too and try to, mm. I love bookstores. I love old bookstores. I love libraries. I love physical books, but it just doesn't seem like, I don't know, the younger generations, I, don't, I get the feeling they're not, they're not buying up those paperbacks. Yeah, can I, if I don't mind, I'm going to piggyback off of that because uh, Scarlett asked a great question. If you have questions, please, uh, you know, get them up and I'll uh, try to get them answered. But so Scarlett asked, you know, what have you learned going through this process? Which I think we've talked a little bit about, but also what would you different, do differently next time? Um, like, it sounds like this was a learning process for everyone. So is there some, some way that you would approach this differently? Sounds like Zach's got it down. So you just throw it out there. It just happened. Yeah, entering um, into the FBO or self-publishing in general. Yeah. Uh, either both. I mean, I think we're specifically about Spiffbo, but, you know, if you want to venture off into self-publishing, that's fine as well. I think I'm going to write my own book next time instead of getting Zach to write it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it did okay. Bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> for I me, think I think the one thing... Yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say, the one thing for me uh, is about, like, the book itself. I, I like did several rounds of beta readers and stuff since it was my first book. And there was one thing that I pushed really hard back on just because I couldn't think of a good way to fix it. And it was, I introduced a new like main character halfway through the book. And, oh, no. and <laughs> I'm 75% the way voice of war right now. And I actually like that you've done that. And I'm, I'm like, I knew that's what, cause I kept reading reviews where you were like, Oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done this. I was like, but I really like this character. He's a cool character. It is. It's it's a mixed bag. If you like the character, then you you like it, and you're totally okay with it. If you don't like the character, then you're like, what the heck? Get me back. What's going on? Sure. And so I I probably would have tried to find a way to integrate him in earlier earlier if possible. I, I so you get you get like TV series where like by the end of the run of a series, your favorite character was somebody who didn't come in until like season three or season four. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm showing my age here, but Buck Rogers, like the coolest <laughs> character in that was that dude yeah. with a feathered head. Was he Hawk or something? And he didn't show up until like season four. He was, he was awesome. So I think, I think if you, if you do it right and bring somebody cool in later on, it's fine. Literally no one else has watched Literally nobody else. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know yeah, was. I did say I was revealing my age. There you go, so, Patrick. You said something. Go on. I, I up, haven't man. seen it because I grew up without a television because my parents didn't believe in television, so I didn't watch anything. Oh. <laughs> okay, that, that, I think that was a great answer, Zach. What about uh, anyone else? Anything else you've learned here? Anything else you do differently if you had to, if you're going through this process again with Spiffo? Maybe not with Spiff, because I mean, you know, we're 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 lucky enough to get to the finals, and you know, it's hard to it's hard to complain, quite frankly, on that. Um, 
terms of self-publishing, I think I would have got everything earlier. You know, rushed it up a bit, and it would be good to have a kind of lead time of six months of starting to get reviews and starting to get the you know the cover out there for people to see and stuff like that. You know, push it a bit more rather than dropping it out into the world and uh, without any uh, any uh, lead time on it. And that's that's a really good point. I'm thinking about doing that too with the with the next book in 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 the Eden trilogy, the the Insurgent King. I'm thinking about trying to get some art copies out and get some reviews out before it's actually published this time to mm -hmm. see if that benefits it. I think that's a, it's a valid point, yeah. I didn't realize you guys did, because you had so many reviews. I assume that you did, because one of the best pieces of advice that I saw out there before self-publishing was, don't just put your book out there. It takes <laughs> months of prep work before the world is ready for your book. And that means contacting as many reviewers as you can physically in that period of time, doing a cover reveal and, yes, it's a really important step. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't do a cover reveal. I did a couple of weeks before it was published, send out ARCs to maybe 20 blogs, something like that. But I didn't get many reviews for quite a while, really. And yeah. It's really disheartening if you put your book out and then suddenly nothing. <laughs> and uh -huh. it's, I think that's why I think a lot of self-published authors, they give up quite early on because they don't see immediate returns. And if, if I was to do this whole process again, I probably would have built more of a support network because I think that's something that we lack as self-publishers that we mm -hmm. that the traditional publishers have down. You know, they have your agents, your editors are basically a, a cheerleading squad for you. And I would I wish I'd found a way to to bring that in. So I had people to be like, you know, when you when you're having a down day or you get a you get your first one star review for someone to remind you that you've got five star reviews to counteract the fact that some people know what not everyone's going to love your book and mm -hmm. I wish I had a cheer, cheerleading cheerleading squad at the ready. So just a question: Do you guys still read your reviews? Because yeah. I've stopped I've stopped reading mine. <laughs> Sometimes that's a loaded question, Patrick. <laughs> Sometimes not if it's like a if it's like a blogger. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, I definitely will. But I've I've stopped obsessing over um, like Goodreads and, and Amazon reviews like I used to. Like with my, when my first book came out, I was checking every day to see if there were any more reviews. And now it's like every now and again, I'll be like, oh, what is there any reviews on there? And then, you know, pop on there and it's like the latest one's one star. It's like, nope, don't need to read that. <laughs> I love reading the one stars. It's the best insight into your book and also into how crazy people can sometimes be when it comes to books. They get really passionate about how much they hate your stuff. I'm like, that is interesting. Some, sometimes they hate the best. The best one star reviews are when they hate your book for exactly the reason that you wrote it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one. I did have one really great. It's, I think it's still possibly the top. Uh, I haven't looked for a while, but it's possibly the top uh, review on the UK page for Lost War. And it's basically this guy complaining that he doesn't like it because there, there are too many strong female characters and it's all too BBC. <laughs> and I've actually then had I've had people then say, "I'm so glad I read that review. It made me buy the book." And I'm like, "Well, there you go." <laughs> yep, the right kind of negative com com comments can really sell a book. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, cool, awesome, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's a mediocre ones you don't really want to read, where they kind of go, it was okay, I know better, <laughs> but nothing yeah, special. One... You think, well, thanks. That's like... It is. It's the ones that you know. If you pride your yourself on something in your book, and they were like, I mean, that part was okay. You're like, no, but that was the good part, and it really <laughs> hurt. Those are the ones that hurt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get a review that's 
it's not necessarily positive, but like super in depth to the point where I'm just amazed that they paid so much attention to my book. And I'm like, it brings me back to like, wow, people are reading something that I wrote. This is pretty awesome. And they're like pointing out like maybe like incons little inconsistencies with like the plot between like book one and book two. To be honest, that just makes me feel great because it's like, even if they're giving me like a three-star review in the second book and they're, they're saying, you know, this between the first book and the second book, you didn't continue this, this thread. Um, I'm just, I'm just honored that they, they paid so much attention. Justin, that's, that's it, it's good point. to hear. Oh, sorry, Jason. Justin, it, it's good to hear once I have, once I get as many reviews as you do, that I, I won't care as much anymore. So I've got a long <laughs> way to go. <laughs> that's good to hear. I, no, I do. That's not true. I mean, I do. I, I can remember, I, I genuinely, I can remember the first time I got a one-star review on my first book, Carpe Diem. And, um, and, and I did do that classic thing, which I, I, I'll bet most of you guys have probably done as well is I, it, I immediately discounted every single previous positive review as people uh -huh. who didn't know what they were talking about because this <laughs> one-star review was written by a connoisseur who knew what they were talking about and they were the ones who actually, they, they could see how bad it really was. And it, like for about a day, I was like, man, I just, I should give this up, I should, I, this is it, I'm done. And then like a day later, I was like, get over yourself, man, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> <It's hard. laughs> and, and then that was, and then now, and now I can laugh at them. Now it's like, now it's like, if you don't like the book, you don't like the book, it's not for you, it's all subjective. Like, you know, if, I think if you write, if you write a book that everybody likes, you've probably not written that great a book because it's probably quite vanilla. And so if, if, if some people don't hate your book, it's, I don't know. I, I, I suppose what I'm saying is I think it might be a good thing for people to hate your book because it means it engages them in some way. Yeah, you ever get absolutely. One star, go on Goodreads for your favorite book and then just look at the one-star reviews for that. Mm -hmm. And you'll be like, oh, well, if people were rating this person one star, then it's a badge of honor. And it makes you feel so much better. You're like, I am a true author now. Yeah. I love that Joe Abercrombie does. I love that Joe Abercrombie tweets out his one-star reviews and it's just like, yeah, Ooh. man, solidarity. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like, there's a whole thing on, that happened over Twitter this summer, didn't it, about authors flagging reviews and it was like, it got uh -huh. very, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think I, it's I just, a, need, to, I just need to hop back quickly and pick up that G.R. Matthews has seen Buck Rogers and backs me up that Hawk was awesome. So I'm not, I didn't make it up. He's right there in the comments saying, yes. He's old as well. <laughs> yes. We're both old and, and well, I grew up in America. I don't know if you did or not. <laughs> you know, it was funny you mentioned that. I saw a review going around yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was someone saying like, yeah, I, I went to someone, someone from my house accidentally bought this book. I would never buy this book. And it was a one star review. Of course, we were having a lot of fun with that yesterday. Um, I also hear, I, I really like to hear you guys talking up reviewers. Uh, I'm a reviewer and I've got a very high regard for myself. So, you know, keep that coming. Help my yeah, get yeah, 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 I appreciate yeah. that. I agree well, with I that. Just wanna... it's, it's lovely to see somebody who's really, when you can see somebody who's really thought about it and really gone into it, and and particularly if they if they've really got something you were trying to get across, that's that's just unbelievably gratifying to see that. It's it's so nice. Just the fact that somebody read my book and cared enough about it to take however long it took to take however to write however long of a review it was, it's such an honor and it's such a blast. 
um, I, I really, I really feel energized when I see anybody reviewing any of my books. So mm -hmm. I to say that it's an amazing gift. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like, especially now with everything going on, they're mm -hmm. literally putting time into what it log into whatever platform and, and write words, even if they're like, I guess like there's trolls and there's all that, that whole phenomenon, but beyond that, it's just pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And reviews can be really revealing for the reviewer as well. You know, they often put a lot of themselves into it by expressing what they took out of your book. So it's kind of like a, a journal entry that they're putting online and it takes a lot of guts to do that. So yeah, it's an incredible thing that they do. And I mean, I, 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 I I know Patrick said it sort of give the impression I didn't care that much. I, I really no Robert, sorry you said it, wasn't it? I, I I absolutely do care. Like if I read a good review, it makes my day. It's you know, it's yeah, a real yeah. it's a real kind of you I don't think I'll ever get past that where if you read a good review of your book, it just it's like, yeah, I feel good for the rest of the day now. They they are brilliant. And even if it's if there's some negative parts, like yes, I, I would like a higher star if possible. But if there's constructive feedback, I, I forget who said if if somebody makes a good point about your book, it, it's good. And then Zach, your one of your underlying points from earlier was you're improving as a writer, you're learning through this whole process. So any review that uh, knows what he or she is, is talking about, um, I I appreciate that as well. Yeah, I agree with everyone and. I know I'm growing as a writer with each book. So trying just to take in as much as I can. I try not to read the one-star reviews because yeah, it, it usually <laughs> messes up my day and, and my writing, but uh -huh. uh, there is some constructive feedback possible there. Yeah, you know what yeah, thing I did? Gonna... Oh, I was gonna say, I, uh, I did a blog tour after I published the book and one of the bloggers actually had some negative stuff to say about it and then several bloggers after that clearly read that entry and said the same thing. And what I actually ended up doing is for book two, I reached out to that blogger and I said, you were totally right. I would like you to be a beta reader for book two so you can help me get it right. And they actually just finished the book last week and it was super helpful. And yeah, like we're all trying to be better. So negative feedback mm -hmm. isn't always, you know, purely mm -hmm. negative. It can be constructive. Has anyone oh, attempted to... Oh, go on, Justin. So okay. I was just going to say, speaking of pure the negative, I did get one review on my audiobook, which basically said, I hate this so much. Amazon should revoke this guy's credentials and he should never write another book. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't take much. Out. There was not much constructive in that, but it made me laugh. So. Okay. <laughs> it was awesome. They are wrong. <laughs> it's all That's what I mean. It's all subjective. It's like. That was someone you knew. That's going to be hard to know, like, like a, a grade school classmate that. Uh, that you had a beef with. <laughs> no, it was actually I've, Patrick. I've no idea. I've no, I, I've no <laughs> idea. But it, just, it and it was like it was like one of the first reviews on the American uh, um, Audible site, and it was just hilarious. I just I roared at it. It was so funny. And that, when it's one of the first, though, you wonder if it's a troll because it, it so heavily affects people. If they just go on there and they see one review, it's a one star. Then you know it puts a lot of readers off, and it just it you know. It worries me that there are people out there who might try and do that. They just might try and tank a book for no good reason. You're right, but there's just nothing you can do about it. I mean, no. you know, it's like you could you could worry yourself into an early grave about it, or you could laugh it off and say la vie. You know, there's it's it's just what it is. It's, uh, all art is subjective has kind of become my mantra over the years since I published my first book because you just 
you can't get too caught up in it if, if you put too much weight on anybody's opinion and, and this goes and this goes for people who love your stuff as well like if you put it's nice but if you put too much weight on that and think you're brilliant that can be bad for you too so it's 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 important not to put too much weight on everything and just accept that it's it's not there's no objective measure of quality when it comes to anything creative it's all dependent upon whose hand it's in and how they experience it yeah one of the reasons i, I stop reading most goodreads reviews is i am i am kind of susceptible to what people say and i've had things that people say oh this didn't work it should be like that and i think oh i better do it the next book i better do that or you know and they'll say oh this is really good and maybe i'll do a bit more of that and you can't write that way because if you're trying to please readers and anyway then you're kind of you're not going to write a coherent book. You're not going to write a good book. You're just going to—I uh, don't know. You're just going to write a mess trying to please people. I think. Yeah. I really like the comment Julia just made, saying that they're called spite buys when people buy it because it's a bad review. Like that's an excellent. Never heard of that before. I like it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, being again, being a reviewer, we we have a lot of fun with. So it's um, you know, and and. Uh, I, I can't think of anyone, at least in this community, that I, that I've talked to that said, "Oh, I don't want to read a self-published author." I mean, uh, everyone really does try to be as supportive as we can. So, uh, as Scarlett mentioned, yeah, reach out, you know, Twitter or wherever you see someone blog and say, "Hey, you want to read my book?" Because uh, we love to support you guys. So, um, and we love you guys for doing it. Jason, really, it it only works because the yeah, it only works because of the the, the two together. It's 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 a real symbiotic relationship. You know, we we wouldn't we wouldn't get the books in front of people if it wasn't for people like you shouting about it. Yeah, we love to shout. So, um, I did. I want to switch gears just a little bit because so I had this question. I just want to be clear. I had this question in the holster already, and then it came up on Twitter earlier today. So, uh, in kind of a controversial form. So I'm going to. So I wanted to bring it up today. I mean, this. So in, in a different, little bit of a different form. So this is uh, this is a competition, right? So why don't you look at each other as competitors? Why aren't you dueling to the death over who over who wins? <laughs> Clearly, Saskia's only just realized it's a competition. <laughs> he wasn't paying attention. Is there enough room for everyone? Here? Put those there specifically to do that. I don't know. It just seems like for me, it's. It's just really cool to me meet such a, a group of people. I personally did not because I'm I guess I'm new to the the scene. The whole both both being an author as well as being a self-published author, I didn't really have any author author friends. Like my community is mostly mostly like fighters and martial artists. Um, and it's really cool to meet other people that do what I do. I haven't had that experience, so it's for me it's pretty cool. That's what I'm, yeah. I was hoping just to get into the finals. I was like, if I get into the finals, then I've won as far as I'm concerned, because it was getting to build an author the network, as Alex is saying, that was crucial because I, I don't have other author friends. You got Patrick, he's he's not on the call. Oh, and he is resurrected. He is risen. I have <laughs> terrible internet connection in my, in my small town, and it does this all the time. <laughs> Who knows how long for? I have no idea what you guys have been talking about. 
You. We were talking about you. Also, yeah, mostly, yeah. <laughs> I was saying that Patrick had um he said something really cool when we um we first joined. He said, Okay, no one turned out to be a serial killer or anything because we we're all tied together. I was like, No, this competition has brought us together in a way that would never have happened and it is now irrevocable. We're all stuck and it's cool that it's actually worked out as a friendship group as well. So yeah, it's Definitely. been fantastic. Yeah, I don't see like obviously this is a competition, but we're all so conscious that we're in the same boat together. Like we're we're having to deal with the same positive negative feedback. Um, <laughs> um, and on top of that, um, going back to the discoverability thing in um, self publishing, it is difficult to stand out. And really, the at present, I'm not doing terribly well with marketing, but the best success I've found is finding other people who are writing the same kind of thing that I write, the kind of thing that I like to read and um, reading their books, um, promoting their books to my followers, getting them to promote my books to their followers. Like you can get so much further together than you can get alone. And it's the nature of what, of what we're doing here. We're writing stories and people don't, just read one story they people read story after story after story throughout their lives at least I hope that's what they're doing um, because it's what I do <laughs> and you know it's not really a competition in the long run in the long run it's where we can help each other and we can get so much further together than we can alone and um, that's how I see it and that's that's how I've gotten anywhere that I've gotten so I suppose the other element of it is, as for as for it being a competition, there's nothing any of us can do at this stage to change the results. Mm. Like we've all we've all done our bit, we've all written our books, we've all handed mm -hmm. them in, we've we've done our work, and at this point we're all just waiting for the results. So we we are in the same boat. You know, it's yeah. not like it's not like it's not like you know anybody wants to go head to head with Alex anyway. But uh, <laughs> but you know, there's there's literally nothing we can do at this point to change the results. So we just have to hang out together and and you know help us all deal with the the highs and the lows of the thing. That's true. We're the only other people who understand the pain each other are going through. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, we're spectators, just like everyone now. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. we can Pretty do. much. Yeah. You get that scary pain. And I really channel. appreciate. You got to review, review Zach. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate having other people there to who, who know what's what it's like and who go through the same kind of exposure and um, the word has fled. I'm a writer. <laughs> Scrutiny. <laughs> yeah. Can we all just acknowledge, by the way, that Susanna has shown the commitment of actually drinking wine in the morning on a Saturday on Australia <laughs> to keep up with that? I think, that's, it, I think drinking on a Saturday morning is very respectable. Yes. I'm Australian. <laughs> yeah, I'm Scottish. I, I, I like, like recognises like. <laughs> five o'clock at night for me here. So, um, no, you make a great point, Suzanne, which is that this isn't just like a business to business type of thing, right? This is, it's a community who, you know, you guys are all telling stories, right? And you're going through the same kind of painful process of not just the physical, getting it written down, getting it edited, all, all the process that we talked about, but also just the, the idea of putting it out in the world, right? Only, only authors know what that's like uh, to write something to honest, out there and have everyone see it. 
the self-published author community is really um the most giving and generous and helpful and sharing community that i've ever been part of and it's just an endless joy to be part of it yeah I'd and the sff community in general is the same in my experience as well like the whole of the sff community is everybody is just lovely and welcoming and open and and people bigging each other up and supporting each other and there's just no you know the the the, the whole thing came out i'm sure everybody saw this whole nonsense come out on twitter today that you know other writers are your competitors and it's just like people don't think like that i mean unless they're slightly sociopathic it's just not that's not how it works it's it's that it's there's going to read it to you by one book in their life and that's it and we're all competing for that, that sale. I mean, it's, it's not a thing. It's, it's, I'm about anyone else, but if I read a good book, I'll read it quickly and then want another good book. Uh, it's not that uh, I'm going to buy Justin's books from now on, for instance. I'm okay Sorry. with that if you do. <laughs> Oh, Jason, you're on mute. Disappeared. <laughs> Not on my screen at all. If I don't work, eat call where I'm always on mute. And I say <laughs> a really genius thing, and then I totally forgot once I take myself off. And so. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a great way to look at. It. I just wanted to bring that up because it was. Uh, I think it's a really important topic. Uh, I, you know, I don't think anyone looks at it that way. So. Um, Sorry, everyone froze there for a second. We're all back. Okay. Um, so the other question that I was thinking about earlier when it came comes to this is just um, someone someone mentioned earlier in the chat. Uh, just just to get back on self publishing. Um, someone you guys I mean, you guys mentioned how important Amazon is. Someone mentioned uh, someone asked earlier if there's any other platforms that are really important to get into a self published offer. They mentioned they mentioned Lulu. I don't know what that is, but. Are there any other really important platforms, or is, is it really just getting getting on Amazon, getting you know, kind of getting into that algorithm? Am I right in saying that all of you guys are just on Amazon because you've got Kindle Unlimited? I think I'm the only yeah. one in the group who, and because I, I was looking at um, this, I was like, oh crikey, their sales are doing better than mine. What's going on? I was like, ah, they were on Kindle Unlimited. Maybe I should jump on that bandwagon. Uh, I didn't because to get on Kindle Unlimited, you have to basically sign to be exclusive on there. You can't sell on Kobo or all of the other platforms. But in doing so, you really need to be able to actually sell books on those platforms, which I'm not doing. So it doesn't actually make any, you know, it's not making financial sense to do that. So you've really just got to kind of figure out what you want your marketing strategy to be, who you're targeting, and, you know, is it worthwhile to be fully on Amazon or not for you? Yeah, well, I was, um... Susanna. Oh, sorry. Um, I was I was going to say I was wired until this year. Um, uh, sorry, last year, twenty twenty. Something something funny happened with um, with my sales, and I went went to Kindle Unlimited as a way of um, keeping my sales steady because they were declining a bit, and um, that it worked. But I'm not super happy about it because I think um, healthy competition is good for the market um, in terms of ebook sellers and I don't really like to see Amazon having the monopoly. Um, I, I don't really like the demands they put on you in order to be part of their Kindle Unlimited program. Um, but that said, 
um, I I can't really go wide unless I figure out how to sell wide. So um, it's on the to-do list, but it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so here I am. That's, that's the thing. It's the, it's the trade-off, isn't it? Because like I so I I tried. I, I was with a small indie publisher with my first book for the first couple of years, and we tried going wide with it, and it just didn't do anything. So when I when I took the rights back myself and republished it in 2018, I thought, right, I'm going to try Kindle Unlimited, and 50% of my income ends up being mm. Kindle Unlimited. So it was it was just a no brainer that it, it was so much more useful and so much more. And I think those Kindle Unlimited reads give you a bump in rank, which then also, you know, it gives you more visibility. And it's it's a self-perpetuating cycle. And 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 it's I agree with you. It's it's annoying that that Amazon has that wrapped up so tight that you can only be in that if you don't go anywhere else. And of course that's exactly why they've done it. But at the moment, unless other platforms can make themselves competitive on that level, um, it's for me it was just a no-brainer. Yeah, Amazon sells books so much more easily than Kobo or Apple or any of the other platforms. Yeah. But um, I do know people, there are people I know who make a good thing out of being wide. They make a lot more money. Um, and so I'm, one of my goals is to learn from them and to get to that point. But it's in the future. It is tough. Yeah, it's tough. You feel like... You're, there are people who want to read your book and can't read your book if you're only on Amazon. And it feels it feels in some ways immoral to be to be kind of putting it all in there and saying, if you want to read my book, you've got to sign up to this uh, corporation. But on the other hand, like Justin, too much of my sales come through the um, page reads now on the on the KDP that I don't see how I would make back the same amount going through through other platforms. Um, this book's the only one I've got on Kindle Unlimited. All my other, the other stuff I've done is, is wide, but I just don't get certain of that. Have we lost Patrick again? Nope. Have you lost me? No. And that's a great, and I want to piggyback off of that again, Scarlett, good question, which she asked is, what's the best way to support you? So is it, you know, I, I know I've seen this question in a lot of different ways. Are you better if someone goes to your website and buys a book directly from you, uh, you know, buying it from Amazon, buying it from a local, you know, where where do you see the most basically income from if, if people buy it? And also you've got to factor in those algorithms, right? So how do you prefer people support you, your works? One one way that readers may not think is is a huge deal, but as an author, it is. So yes, buying buying the book is great, and that's that's a direct support uh, in terms of of money. And Amazon gives us seventy percent of the cut, which is is great. So no no complaints there. More than but, I thought. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly compared to traditional publishing. Um, so that that is great, and thank you to all readers who buy our books there. But something you may not think about is is joining their author mailing list. If an if an author has a newsletter, that is something we we were just talking about. We don't have control over Amazon and and the algorithm mm -hmm. and and how they show our books on their website. We have complete control over our newsletter in terms of the emails we send, what kind of community we build. 
So if, if you really love an author, jump in and communicate with them. You can communicate with them directly, communicate with other fans. Um, so that it, um, that's what I would recommend. Uh, plus, there's the added, added benefit of you actually get to talk to them and hear from them more than just their, their books. Yeah, just tell people about their books. Exposure is the, the best thing you can do for an author besides you know, reading the book. Um, just telling other people to read the book because you just can get the message out so much better than... I saw this great meme of an author stood in the corner of a, um, of a street saying like, buy my book and like everyone like walking past them because you know, that's, that's what authors are doing, that's what they're saying and it doesn't work. Whereas if someone else says, this book is great, you should read it, you're far more likely to listen to them. Yeah, Absolutely. review the book, share the book, join the mailing list. Yeah, shout about it on Twitter. <laughs> you know, just word of mouth is is it's invaluable in terms of marketing. So talk about it. Tell your friends. Do you know yeah. review the book? Absolutely. For all for all that I said about you know I don't tend to always go and read my reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. I'm grateful for all of them because mm -hmm. they are mm -hmm. exactly what is needed to find new readers, and that's it's brilliant for that. Well, you, Zach, any other way? Anything else you can think of? Well, I think uh, chat is saying it, which is review. Leave a review. Everywhere. Everywhere you can think of putting it. Yeah. yeah so that Zach can look at you and say, oh, would you like to be a beta reader for my next book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. All right. And um, unless I don't see any more questions. So I, want, one, I do want to kind of wind things down. So let's uh you know i uh, kind of go according to plan here so let's uh i everyone sign off uh, as, as we're signing off i want to kind of go back through and just have everyone tell us you know what again what you write and the best way to really get started with you um in your you know in your portfolios where's the best best way if a reader is just discovering you where should they start so uh let's start with the bottom up this time we'll start with out uh so i my book is The Combat Codes. I just got a, a new cover going. Um, really excited about that. I'm actually going to re-brand is the word. Uh, the first two books that are both out. Um, the second, the second uh, new cover should be in about two months. And then the third book in the series, which, which should be the final one, um, will be out in June. Um, and again, Combat Codes is... is uh, action book, it's a dystopian martial arts, um, almost all unarmed combat. There's not that much, uh, you know, uh, sword play, um, but uh, that, that uh, leaves a lot of, I found, you know, I certainly like sword play and, and weaponry, but I found kind of limiting myself um, to unarmed combat created a lot of cool situations that I, I really enjoyed writing, so. Combat code. I mean, I'm, I'm going to add in because I think uh, Jason just dropped. So, <laughs> um, Zach, we'll go with you next. Uh, yeah, so I have uh, Voice of War out, and the sequel is coming out in April, April 4th. So definitely pick those up. Uh, if you are a blogger and interested, I have a sign-up form on my website right now to request an ARC at zachargyle.com slash ARC. So pretty easy to find. And if you have not read Voice of War, there's also an option to receive a free copy of that as well to prepare for the second book. So that's it for me. Awesome. Justin? 
Uh, I'm currently writing The Insurgent King, the sequel to The Lost War. I'm planning to get it out this summer. It's substantially longer already than I intended it to be, and I'm not finished yet, so it's going to be substantially longer than I intended it to be. Um, but I, I hope to still get it out this summer. And uh, so uh, where to get started with me, it depends what you like. If you If you are into sort of epic fantasy with a bit of mystery and conspiracy, then start with The Lost War. If you're into comedy urban fantasy, uh, my first book, Carpet Dia, might be more up your street. Awesome. Patrick? Okay, assuming uh, I've been frozen on screen for most of the last few minutes, but let's see. Um, okay, what are we talking about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you have going on right now, and where can people start reading you? Okay, um, I am right. Uh, the best place to start for Mad Dog Fantasy is is this one, which is uh, Shadow of a Dead God, my favorite book. I'm currently writing the sequel of it, which is called Nectar of God. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a fantasy uh, mystery with a lot of snark in it. Um, I've also got a couple of kids' books. Like I said, the first one is called Secrets of the Dragon Tomb. Um, so if you've got any kids kind of 8 to 12, that'd be a perfect place for them. It's an adventure set on Mars during the Regency period. Um, lots of silliness in it. And I have a couple of other mystery novellas out, which names have escaped me, because <laughs> I'm really bad with names. <laughs> <laughs> Um, There's a question in the chat asking if you're a ninja, Patrick. Am I a ninja? <laughs> Why would I, I think uh, they were um, hoping you could go up against Alex for us. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I did a very small amount of martial arts 30 years yeah. ago, which I was very, very bad at. I will not. <laughs> Alex would kill us all, I think. I'm a very peaceful person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Rachel? So Last Memoria is my only book that's currently published, but I have potentially two more coming out this year. The next one is the sequel to Last Memoria, Scars of Sarah Burnt, coming out May 10th, so a week after Zach's. I'm glad we happened to have aligned that accidentally. And the second is Sakara Nights, which is the first book in another duology. Um, and if you want to check the books out, I suggest starting now before I obviously start piling more and more books out into the world and then just your reading pile just get bigger. So go now. <laughs> It's the whole point of this convention, TBRCon. <laughs> All right, Susanna. Okay. Um, so if you happen to like uh, history, military history, and um, court intrigue fantasy, then um, my yeah, there we go. <laughs> Win from the wilderness. Um, you can actually start reading the Watches of Ultraman series with any of the th three first books. Um, Wind from the Wilderness, Lady of Kingdoms, or A Day of Darkness. Um, I'm told that book three is the best so far, but also um, starting with book one will also give you more um, revelations in the sequence that they're supposed to occur in, so whichever you prefer. Um, I have also written um, Arthurian fantasy. I wrote a series of novellas based on fairy tales. Um, you can check those out. They have reviews. Um, this year, I'm 
hoping to come out strong in the next couple of months with a completely new trilogy, which will be a very frivolous gas lamp romp. Um, I think a lot of the reviews for Wind of the for Wind from the Wilderness have mentioned that it kind of uh, punches you in the gut. Um, but um, the gas lamp one will be a little more um, thoughtful and. <laughs> won't rip your heart out so <laughs> so yeah that's um that's a quick rundown awesome and robert sure um so my finalist is the fall over lawn that's uh the first book i published the first in the the falling empire series it is gunpowder fantasy i i generally tell people it's military fantasy um because it, it is focused on kind of large scale battles, but in, instead of the typical knights uh, in shining armor from uh, sword and sorcery or, or classic fantasy settings, uh, there's gunpowder involved. So there's cannons, muskets, pistols, um, <laughs> things like that. And it's <laughs> thanks, um, and it, it's uh, loosely inspired by Napoleonic Europe. Uh, it's, it's a secondary world. But um, four books, the last book just came out earlier this month. The Fall of Erlong, Gods of Gunpowder, Empire War, and Realms of Tomorrow. Um, there'll be a box set at some point as soon as I can figure out how to put four books formatted together. Um, but hopefully that'll come soon. Um, and if, if you want to try out my writing without having to buy a book, uh, go to roberthfleming.com uh, and you'll, you'll find a link down at the bottom of the homepage. Um, for a free novella, um, it's called Riome. That it, it's a historical battle from from my world, um, but that'll give you a good taste of the the kind of action um, and and style of my writing. Um, so, thanks everyone. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll speak for Jason, uh, but uh, just thank y'all so much for being here, taking the time to to come chat about Spiffbow and about your novels. Uh, and thanks everybody that tuned in for for checking it out. But uh, the the main thing is. Read indie, review indie. It's just as good, if not better, than traditionally published a lot of the times. So Way definitely better. check out these authors, <laughs> um, and definitely check out Spiffo. If you've got a book that you know you want out in the world, and you know you don't really know what avenue you need to take, I mean Spiffo is a great place to start. I mean just ask these phenomenal authors, authors right here. So, uh, but just thank you all again. Thank you everybody, and uh, oh, thank you. You, I mean, this is incredible. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And uh, stay tuned for our last panel tomorrow uh, on gods, goddesses, and demigods. Oh my, with some really crazy, talented <laughs> Grimdog authors and beyond. And then our live Dungeons and Dragons session tomorrow afternoon. So, uh, which Justin's going to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, baby. Uh, Can't wait. <laughs> so, uh, that sounds amazing. I'm going to Can't wait. I uh, know. It's going to be great. So, uh, but just thank you all so much. Uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your evening and weekend. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. Okay. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. All. Thank you.